0: It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and tonight I've three great guests lined up for you. Firstly, I'll be talking to publisher Kristen Jensen who is celebrating the success of Books at this year's Irish Food Writing Awards. And then, Muriel O'Sullivan from Berra Bitters shares details about her portfolio of bitters that are made from natural fruits, nuts and seeds infused in alcohol. And towards the end of the programme, Aoife Whelan reveals details about the recently launched Little Farm experience that makes the perfect school tour. But before we hear from our guests, a reminder that you can make contact with me by emailing me s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. I'm also on Instagram at Sharon J. Nunan. So my first guest this evening is no stranger to the best possible taste and has been on the programme to tell us about her publishing company, Nine Bean Rose, and a COVID project, Books. Well, Books won the best cookbook category at the recent Irish Food Writing Awards and Kristen herself was the recipient of the Outstanding Achievement Award. I spoke to Kristen last week to congratulate her on the richly deserved awards. Bon appétit. Yummy.
1: Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm.
0: Kristen, huge congratulations on your success at this year's Irish Food Writing Awards. Two richly deserved awards, Best Cookbook and Outstanding Achievement. So you must still be on cloud nine. Yeah, definitely still reeling. That definitely hasn't sunk in yet. So for the the Best Cookbook, a couple of the books in the Blosta range had been nominated, shortlisted for that. But in actual fact, there was a bit of a twist, as Suzanne Campbell explained on the night. A very prestigious judge judged that category, Jay Rayner. So for people who are maybe not familiar with who he is, just explain, first of all, who Jay Rayner is.
2: So Jay Rayner is a food writer and restaurant critic in the UK. He writes for The Guardian. So a huge profile very popular um you know he's been doing that job for 20 years very respected so you know just even the thought that oh my goodness like our books were in his hands and he thinks so highly of them is amazing and yeah as you said officially only the first two books were nominated because of the um you know like the timing cutoffs of of when things are published so To have him turn around and give the award to all four books in the first series was completely unexpected. And, you know, as Suzanne explained later, yeah, they basically changed the rules, you know, bent the rules, you know, to be able to recognize all four books, which is so tremendous. And I'm so happy for all the authors, because being the first series, they really were taking a big leap of faith, you know, signing on with me and just trusting the vision I had for it. Everybody else who comes after now is following the template that they've started. And so I'm just so happy for all of them, so proud of all of them. The books, while being a series, they're also all so unique and individual and they have such strong voices. I'm just thrilled. And just to have it get that level of recognition from two years ago, just being an idea in my head that I wasn't sure anybody else would think was a good idea, too. It's, um, yeah, it's a great full circle kind of moment.
0: And I think it's really tremendous that the Irish Food Writing Awards have all these really prestigious judges who are not based in Ireland because we are a very small Irish community whenever it comes to that food writing space. For Suzanne and Paul O'Connor, who's the co founder with her, to put so much time and effort into making sure that the judges are of such brilliant calibre, but also that they're very very removed from maybe the personalities here in in ireland so i think it's great that it just takes it it just means that there's complete fairness there across the board
2: yeah yeah you you've said it there you've nailed it on the head it's just too small it would be a conflict of interest at every turn basically if if we tried to judge it with irish judges and in fact i'm a member of the irish food writers guild and that is one of the reasons we'd never done a food writing award. It's like we can't be giving awards to each other and ourselves. It's just, you know, just doesn't work that way. So it's really clever the way she set it up. And to have, as you said, the judges of such high caliber and, you know, worldwide renown some of them, just is it makes it even better.
0: And I know that Suzanne had said on the night as well that they had looked to the Guild of Food Writers in the UK to learn from their awards, but obviously the UK's is a much bigger market. There's more players there, so it was great to have some of those judges in the room on, on the night. Did you meet any
2: of them? Do you know what? I, it was such a whirlwind that I didn't meet any. Like I was able to say hello to some of the people I already knew from other events, like Charlotte Pike, for example. Um, And I did sit next to Xantha Clay, and she was the president of the UK Guild. So I was the secretary and the chair of the Irish True Writers Guild. So, you know, I would have been, she would have been on my radar. But uh, unfortunately, this year, I didn't get to meet anybody else. Like last year, I had more of a chance to, uh, you know, introduce myself to some of the other judges who were there. um, But great to have them over and to be able to Obviously, there are there are colleagues in the food writing space. So to be able to shine a light on Irish food writing like that, and again, similar to the way the, the... the Well, they are the judges. They have the high profile. To bring that experience back with them is fantastic. So I really applaud what Suzanne and Paul have done there.
0: And the other thing that Suzanne said on the night was that last year, after the awards, a couple of the... Um, the, the winners were commissioned to write pieces by UK editors. So that's amazing as well.
2: But that's what it's all about, isn't it? You know, all these events, whether it's the Food Writing Awards or you know Food on the Edge, which just took place earlier this week, it's, it's all about making those connections. And, you know, like there is, I know we're, we're just coming out of two years of trying to do these things virtually. And it's just, not the same so even just to be in a room together was was fantastic so hopefully it'll be interesting to see what comes out of maybe this year
0: it is brilliant to be in the room together but i mean god it is it's hard to motivate yourself to put the oil slap on and the, <laughs> the spanks i'm sure some people were wearing that night i was not i went with the trousers and to make that effort to drive to dublin we've certainly got out of the way of doing it that way
2: oh true i came home from foot on the edge On Tuesday, which is only, you know, in good traffic, it's an hour's drive for me, I was asleep by nine o'clock. Like, oh, you know, I'm blaming all the fresh air because we're outside all day. Oh, I'm just not able for this anymore. Like you said, completely out of practice, talking all day long and being with people
0: and look it wasn't just the best cookbook award that you got you also got outstanding achievement and I like I saw you whenever that your name was read out well I just saw you from the back but I could I could tell the hands were up and you were like oh my god you just couldn't believe it no I
2: was so unprepared I didn't even know that was an award that was even being given out so I was just you know just kind of sitting there oblivious and like as then Suzanne started reading I was like oh my god she's she's talking about me she's talking about basket books this is yeah it it was a real high point of my career to be recognized like that by my colleagues and friends still processing it
0: I loved that you were her go-to person whenever she had the idea of the food writing awards and she phoned you and said look I've had this really mad idea and you said, "Well, I've had a mad idea as well." So you actually shared with each other your your two COVID lockdown plans.
2: Yes, and I'd forgotten all about that until she said it. But yeah, she was actually one of the very first people I told because I I had sat with this idea for months, and it was such a big idea and such a big leap from what I had been doing as a freelance editor that I was just paralyzed and I didn't know where to start, and so after doing nothing for, you know, about 10 months, it's like, right, I need to make myself accountable. So I started telling people about the idea. It's like, right now it's out in the world and now I have to do it. And that's what I did. And then I just kind of jumped into the deep end and figured it out as I went. So, so having that conversation with Suzanne, so she called me to run this idea past me with the food writing awards. It's like, well, in the spirit of sharing, you know, I've got this idea too. And I've known Suzanne for years, respect her so much and the work she does. So she was a real sounding board for me as well. Because it's hard when you're sitting here by yourself in lockdown and nobody to bounce ideas off of. Uh, So she was one of the first. So I really appreciate her enthusiasm right for the start and support of the idea. It was a a great motivator.
0: And now you are officially an award-winning publisher. So let's just remind everybody about the book in the the series in the blaster book series that are out already and the ones that are coming soon as well because let's face it Christmas is also coming and these are <laughs> fabulous books i had a friend from dublin was my plus one at the awards and she was like well these books sound really interesting and i had the instagram up and said you know this is the first one and this is the second one and they're just this handy and she's like do they all sit beside each other like in the shed? would they be all nice and, and perfect uh, yeah absolutely i said Orla they all slot in together Christmas present idea Sharon absolutely Orla so Orla said it first Kristen
2: oh yes this is what I am hoping for especially now the fourth book is coming out in just two weeks I think it is so that's the first four as you said all sitting together on the shelf which is my the thing I've been dreaming of for about the past year and a half to have all four finally together and not stopping there. I think a lot of people thought because that was what the Kickstarter campaign that launched this whole project was all about. It was focused on the first four, but it was never my intention just to stop at four. I want this Blast of Books to keep going as long as there's an appetite for it. So a few weeks ago, we announced the second four, so Books five, six, seven, eight for 2023. So just to show people like, oh, this is, we're, we're still going. You know, this was just year one, and now it's year two. So your collection isn't going to stop it for, it's going to keep going. And I've purposefully put the numbers of the books on the spines. So they are meant to be, like from the outset, I wanted this to be a collectible series that while the books absolutely stand alone and you can buy them individually, they are meant to also work together as a series to provide a more inclusive snapshot of where Irish food is right now.
0: So the first one was Tacos by Lily Ramirez-Boran, who was a guest on the show and told us about it. And then the second one was Hot Fat by the Gastro Guys. And we, I spoke to Russell and Patrick earlier in the year as well about those. But I haven't had the the authors of the third and fourth books on yet. So just tell everybody what those two are.
2: Right. So the third book is the United Nations of Cookies, which is co-authored by Jess Murphy from Kai in Galway and Owen Klusky from Bread41 in Dublin. And that book is different from the other ones so far in that they, it's not their own recipes. They got recipes from contributors all over Ireland who are all refugees or immigrants. So these are all people who have made Ireland their home, but are not from Ireland. And they all shared a cookie recipe because we, we got to thinking, well, every culture and every cuisine has a cookie recipe, some kind of you know sweet treat. It's something we all have in common. So the bigger picture with this book is Jess Murphy is what's called, it's, it's quite a mouthful, an official high profile supporter of the UNHCR, which is the United Nations Refugee Agency. So in honor of that, all the author proceeds of this book are being donated back to UNHCR and in fact I'm just after literally half an hour ago emailing all the contributors Uh, our artist for the book Nikki Hooper has very generously donated all the original illustrations and so I've I've just emailed all the contributors to give them first dibs but I'm going to be putting them up on the Blosta Books website uh, next week And all proceeds of those original illustrations are also going to go to UNHCR. So it's your chance to get an original piece of artwork from the book, all going to a good cause. That's cookies. And then book number four, coming out in two weeks, is Walk by Kwanji Chan. And a lot of people might know Kwanji from the Six O'Clock Show, where he's a regular uh, TV chef. You might also know him from his Bites by Kwanji restaurants in Dublin. He had a very popular food truck during covid he used to have the Bowls restaurant in North Dublin, but that's uh, gone by the wayside now. He also has a range of his chan-chan sauces. So he does uh, a reyu. He does a Hong Kong street sauce. He has a some black garlic. So he's, he's kind of all over the place. And I, he's one of these guys, like, how do you sleep? When do you sleep? <laughs> You're always working. So that's really exciting. Just as Tacos was the first Irish-Mexican cookbook to be published, Walk is the first Irish Asian cookbook to be published. So that's, we're really excited about that. And um, again, that's coming out in two weeks. So plenty of time to get an instant capsule collection if anybody's looking for a, a good Christmas gift this year. And then, of course, books five, six, seven, eight are also now available for pre order. You can order them individually, you can buy the whole set. And that's because they are a quarterly series it does make a nice gift because they just get sent directly to your door every three months.
0: And they are very affordable.
2: That was part of my thinking in setting up this project. Each book is only 15 euros. Or if you go to our website, you can get a discount if you buy the bundle of four and they're for 50 euros that I wanted them to be accessible for readers as well, because as with everything cookbooks, all books are going up in price and sometimes it's like, well, you'd already have to be a fan of the writer or the cuisine and, you know, already kind of committed to spend 35, 40, 45 euros now on a cookbook. So I figured at 15 euros, it just gives you this taste of a cuisine, of a topic, of a person, you know, just to take a chance with not having to spend a lot to do it. So I like to say that blaster books are to cookbooks, but street food is to restaurants. They're just a fun accessible way to try something new
0: a great way to compare it for somebody that hasn't seen the the cookbooks the illustrations are there instead of photographs because that's
2: part of the huge expense of doing a cookbook exactly so the whole series was born out of this desire to provide a platform for more people to be able to get published Against the backdrop of the fact that cookbooks are very, very expensive to produce. So I was sitting there during the summer of 2020 in lockdown thinking, okay, technology being what it is, and there's got to be another way. You know, printing costs compared to 30 years ago have come down. How can I be clever about this? You know, how can I be savvy? So this is what I hit on the small books with the lower price point, and as you said, the illustrations rather than. expense of a photographer and a stylist and a home economist you know it's um just keeps it the costs down for the reader to be able to buy it for only 15 euros
0: there are certain revolutionary aspects to what what you have done and especially in terms of ireland and maybe possibly the uk i do have a feeling that you're going to be approached by people in the uk if you haven't been approached already to do something similar over there and one of the other fantastic things that you do is you've opened up to submissions.
2: You must be inundated with submissions. Not not as much as you might think, but definitely I guess, you know, even on food on the edge, I was I was walking in carrying a box of books to bring to the bookshop. And one of the volunteers stopped me. He's like, Oh, you're you're Kristen from Blast Books. You know, I have an idea for a book and they so there, like, oh, this box is really heavy. <laughs> yeah, so, and um no, but it just goes to show, you know, we there's there's just something about books and our story. And I, I say this all the time. I really do believe that there are two things that connect everybody, and it's food and stories. It's what makes us human across cultures, across you know, all kind of metrics that you care to measure we all, it's, it's like the most important thing we have is our story. And the way I'm coming at it is how that is reflected through food. So yeah, getting lots of um, inquiries. (laughs) So it's to the point where I I could certainly have enough material to publish more books a year. It's just resources. You know, I, I just don't have the manpower to do it, but also don't want to burn out. I don't want to burn readers out. I want to keep it fresh and exciting every time
0: yeah and not dilute the the yeah. effort in the market at least once a week whatever projects I'm working on it will come up at least once a week and I'll say you really should look up lost of Books I think oh, you know you should be making contact through the formal submission
2: process yeah and like the submissions this isn't unique to me every publisher has a submissions process and format and that's just because it's the the information we need in a format that we need it in otherwise we're reinventing the wheel every single time so there is you know there are always good reasons for the ways we do things
0: and then before because i want you to finish off just telling us the the titles of the next four for 2023 but before we move on to that we have to talk about beck by, oh, yes. by the Cupcake Bloke and then Scoop magazine that you're collaborating with D. Laughing on. So just tell us, first of all, about the Cupcake Bloke's book, which is called Bake.
2: So it's Bake, and the subtitle is Traditional Irish Baking with Modern Twists by Graham Hertrich, a.k.a. the Cupcake Bloke. And what this book is, it is, as the name suggests, traditional Irish baking recipes. And then you turn the page and it's a modern spin on it so he has for example to use the cover so the cover is the modern version of soda bread he has the traditional plain soda bread recipe but then you turn the page and it's been jazzed up with pinched prawn spicing so it's using this foundation of the recipes we all know and love but bringing them into the 21st century using the ingredients that are available to us now and that many of us have been able to experience for ourselves now that travel is more affordable and we're able to also again (laughs) travel again after the pandemic so you know these ingredients that we wouldn't have heard of or certainly not had access to even 10 years ago are now much more widely available in Ireland and people have had them so it's being able to marry those two things together and it's um, it's a lot of fun it's what Graham is really passionate about doing himself in his own business the bakery in Rialto so for example another example you've got um, what he calls mammy buns which is you're just kind of your fairy cakes that's your know, childhood birthday party staples so he's got that recipe but then you turn the page and it's a tahini and black sesame cupcake so it's and it's just also a springboard to show people Play with flavors, you know. Experiment yourself. Mix and match. Do, just use this as a inspiration.
0: And was there a reason why you didn't go down the Blaster Books route with Graham? Because it's it's a publication from Nine Bean Rose, which is your overarching publishing group.
2: Yes. So Blaster Books is the quarterly series, and that's what that is. It's very fixed. Nine Bean Rows is the imprint for basically everything else, you know, the quote unquote big books or any other kind of book that you know, might be coming down the tracks. And when Graham called me up with this idea, it would have been fine for a Blasta book, but I just felt it, because they are little, it would have been too restrictive. I Like he wouldn't have been able to kind of get into his groove with it enough. So, Really, kind of broke my own rule. The whole point in setting up those two imprints was that Nine Bean Rose was the pathway from Blasta Books. So all these authors who had tried to get a book deal with the other publishers here and in the UK and weren't able to—this was going to be the way. It's like, okay, now having proven the market with a Blasta book, now here's the pathway to get the big book, you know, with the photography and the styling and the hundred recipes. And yeah, so Graham just (laughs) wound up leapfrogging that entire system before I even had a chance to start it. Um, But so far, it's going really well. In fact, just last night, we were at the GPO for the Post-Irish Book Awards. It was shortlisted for Cookbook of the Year. So I really, I'm I'm so proud of that, to be in a category with other long-established publishers with a lot more resources than i have because it is just me here at nine bean rose and my team of amazing freelancers it's a fantastic uh, achievement for for the whole team i could sneak in there though just to ask people to vote for bake in the book awards
0: okay yeah absolutely tell us where we need to to go to to do that
2: yeah, so one part of the Irish Book Awards is a public vote. So we would really, really appreciate anybody who already has BAKE and knows it and loves it if you go to irishbookawards.ie and give your vote to BAKE.
0: Absolutely. And then Scoop. We must talk about Scoop magazine, which, again, it's not lost Books. It's not a cookbook. It's a food magazine.
2: Yeah, so this has actually been in the works for about a year, and I always saw it as being the third pillar of the company. So you've got the Blasta Books fun little series, you've got Nine Bean Rose doing the, the book books, and now you've got Scoop, which is this biannual food magazine. So it's not a glossy, it's not a recipe magazine. It's really more like a journal. It's meant to be similar to Blasta Books. It's something you keep, it's not something you, know, you throw away after a week. You can dip in and out of it. It's more in depth, long form food writing. And the topic, every, every magazine is going to have a theme, and the topic of the first one is what is Irish food, which we thought, okay, for this Irish food magazine, that's a fitting first topic. Just making the point that exactly what we've just been talking about with Bake and with Books, this outdated idea of what Irish food is, especially when it comes to how it's perceived abroad, It's time to change the story. And this is all my way of just trying to update the story and reflect the diversity that we actually have here that I'm not sure even a lot of Irish people realize how multicultural Ireland has actually become. So Scoop is coming out. It's being delivered to my office on Wednesday. So I'm going to be working as fast as I can to turn it around into the post on Thursday or Friday. So hopefully people will get it before the bank holiday. But that's going to be... Available through our own website scoopfoodmag.com or independent retailers. So the kinds of places that are already stocking Blasta Books, which is delis and cafes and nice little indie shops, they'll you can find Scoop in these places. Not really, um, not really, kind of like a, a newsagent type of publication. It's like nothing that's been published here in Ireland before. We're so excited for people to see it. I think. Yeah, I mean, like we, we always had this clear vision in our heads of what it was going to be, but obviously nobody can see inside our heads. So we're so excited for it to land. And I think people are just going to be blown away.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to get my copy now. And you'll have to do a little unboxing Instagram <laughs> reel there, so you will. And then finally, just to finish up, about the the a book series that's coming out in 2023. Tell us very quickly the themes and the authors for those.
2: Okay, so book number five, which is going to come out in January, is by the Spice Bags podcast co-hosts, also my uh, colleague there, Dee Laffin, with Scoop. So it's Dee Laffin, Blanca, Valencia, and May Chin. Their book is uh, Soup, so very similar to Cookies, that they've collected recipes from people all over Ireland, again, who are not Irish nationals. Soup being another thing we all have in common. And this is so on par with what they talk about in their podcast, you know, with every episode. So that was, like, they're basically, Spice Bags is the podcast equivalent of Lost of Books. We're we're working in the same lane. Then book number six is Tapas by Vanessa Murphy and Anna Cabrera from Las Tapas de Lola in Dublin, the much-loved restaurant. Fabulous restaurant, it, yeah. is, And what's so exciting about this is, their book is actually going to tie in with their 10 year anniversary of the restaurant. So that's really, really nice. I'm very excited about that one. Then the seventh book is called Wasted by Connor Spacey and Connor Spacey does lots of fantastic work all around food waste. So I said to Connor when he approached me, it's like, listen, I'm hundred percent behind this idea, but the recipes have to be delicious first and foremost, and the food waste part of it has to almost be like a nice added bonus. They have to be delicious recipes that people are going to want to cook. So really excited about that one. Again, a fantastic message, really actionable things, but delicious recipes that you really want to make. And then the last one now for next year is with Richie Castillo and Alex O'Neill from Bahe, which is a very popular Dublin pop-up. And that's Masarap, which means tagalog in Filipino. So like this nice play on blaster. And that's their Filipino Irish recipes. Amazing. Look,
0: can't wait to see them all. I'm delighted that a number of the the people who have featured in the books or created books with you have been on the programme here and it has been absolutely wonderful talking to you. Congratulations again Kristen on your two richly deserved awards. Absolutely delighted for you.
2: Thank you so much, Sharon.
0: You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan, and just before the break... I was talking to Kristen Jensen, recipient of the Outstanding Achievement Award and Best Cookbook Award at the recent Irish Food Writing Awards. If you're just tuning in now and you missed that, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. The podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Still to come on the programme tonight, Aoife Whelan reveals details about the recently launched Lidl Farm experience that makes the perfect school tour. Next though, it's Miri O'Sullivan from Berra Bitters who shares details about her portfolio of bitters that are made from natural fruits, nuts and seeds infused in alcohol. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Mary, it was great to meet you a few weeks ago in Dingle at the Blasnaire and Irish Food Awards. And whenever I was there, you were telling me about your beer bitters. Just explain to everybody what they are.
1: So bearer bitters are uh, Irish cocktail bitters. They're used a few drops at a time to add flavor and aromatics to mixed drinks, or you can use them in food recipes as well. So um, bitters, uh, cocktail bitters, traditionally are added to mixed drinks. Not to overwhelm the flavor profile of the mixed drinks, but to enhance them and help pull them together. So if you're um, working in the bar trade, an awful lot of bartenders tend to call them like the the salt and pepper.
0: um, Just because they add an awful lot of flavor just for a few drops at a time. So, for example, if somebody was making a spicy margarita, is this something that you would use in a margarita?
1: Yeah, I uh, absolutely think the sky's the limit. Like, if, I, if you're going for spicy margarita, I'd probably say look at our smoked pear just because tequila tends to smoke well, uh, tends to pair well with um, quite smoky flavors. So, I kind of think it's one thing that is kind of like its personal taste as well because we have a range of flavors and you kind of like what you like. There's classic recipes and things as well, but like everyone kind of like riffs and plays with their own things. Like, we do have recommended recipes. I uh, honestly find that most people use that as a jumping off point for their own creativity
0: brilliant and the smoked pear that you mentioned there was a finalist in this year's awards and you have two other flavors in the range yeah so we have an aromatic which we won
1: gold in los in last year with so the aromatic is very star anise forward there's uh, quite a lot of gentian in it and we also have an orange which is quite summery very um, sweet and just plays well with like uh, quite fruit flavors
0: and how did you come up with the idea of starting the business? Because it does sound to be quite a novel type product and quite new to the market in Ireland.
1: It is. And it, it is one of those things that like I do find in a, a lot of my time is spent explaining to people what cocktail bitters are. And that's fair enough, because it's not a super traditional um, product within the Irish market. Uh, the way I got into it was I had been working in plant breeding um, for years with Chagas which is the agricultural research arm of the Irish government and I had been looking at uh, the same question you kind of ask every entrepreneur kind of take a notion (laughs) and you're kind of like well I want to start my own business and then I was kind of looking at well what can I do that I'm somewhat familiar with and like I'm familiar with plants, plant products. And I kind of use that, kind of like looking at like what seems to be happening in the market within Ireland. And I noticed there's a huge amount of new distilleries and breweries opened. Like in the last 15 years, we've gone from about three distilleries up to 33 in Ireland and there's 300 in Scotland. So like the market is only finding its feet essentially after years of uh, three big players dominating the market. So what I was looking at is there's no point in competing with them it would be better to have a supporting product that people use that we help bars restaurants hotels breweries distilleries um help add value to their products and um help add utility so there's loads of different cocktails you can make with their products so it isn't just with spirits it can be with soft drinks it can be with beer it
0: can be with mead it can be with the limit is your imagination honestly And so whenever you did some research then, where did you come across the bitter idea?
1: I suppose what I had been looking at then was ideas of companies that help support um, breweries and distilleries. And what I kept on coming across was that if you want something to add flavor and aromatics without overwhelming the flavor of your drink, you're looking at cocktail bitters, essentially. So they are quite a bit of bang for your buck. So, like our average two hundred mil bottle has about one hundred and fifty servings in it. Um, our fifty mil has between thirty and thirty-five. So, it like a quite a small um serving helps tie together the flavors and the aromatics. And because all our um, cocktail bitters they're all made with a base of organic apple brandy that we get from High Bank in Kilkenny, it's an easy way to have a local sustainable product on your cocktail menu.
0: So you have the idea of what was the next step in the journey. Was it sourcing ingredients and getting in touch with people like um, the guys at Highbank?
1: It was, but also it was coming up with recipes that we liked that that we got feedback from people within the Irish market to see what people liked, what they, they thought played well with their products, what added um sufficient aromatic flavors and um uh, botanicals that um just meshed with the existing market so an awful lot of that then was just playing around, around with different recipes tweaking things uh, to come up with the final recipes that we felt like this this works well it's a good flavor suite. so uh, you're right about um, looking and talking to people and coming up doing research so what we did as part of that was we had to come up with an aromatic and an orange because a part of the traditional um, cocktails out there will always have an aromatic and an orange as part of their flavour suite. But we wanted something that was traditionally Irish, and that's where we came up with the smoked pear. So that's a nod to the traditional preservation methods within Ireland and the traditional flavours that would have been there.
0: And is it fair to say there is smoked pear in as an ingredient in that particular yes, one? Yes,
1: yeah, so uh, what we actually got was uh, organic French pears uh, that we got cold smoked over oak in Umra's smokehouse in uh, Cork. So that is the main fruit element. Um, like they're fresh pears that we we get smoked and they get um, they get infused then with our bitters. So we just do that for twice a year uh, as our batches come through.
0: So now you have the three products in the product range. The next stage was probably development packaging and branding. Mm-hmm. And you're obviously based in the in the, the Berra Peninsula part of Ireland.
1: In actuality, absolutely everyone in Ireland presumes that about us. Um, we're Berra Bitters because I'm an Ossola von Berra and my business partner is from there. <laughs> we're actually based in there, which I'm sure there's probably grinding teeth down in Berra, justifiably. But uh, Berra was named after the family, so it's kind of the other way around. Um, so that is the origin, the name we were actually based in Well, it,
0: it's always good to have a story to go with the name, and that's certainly a good story. Mm. So it is.
1: About eight hundred years ago, there was a uh, Sullivan, uh, according to legend, prince who knows, um, went gallivanting to Spain and came back with a Spanish wife, and her name was Bera, and we took her name, Castletown Bera, is named after her. The Bera Peninsula is named after her. <laughs>
0: So you have a product, you have um, a name for it, then the next thing is the branding and the packaging. Mm-hmm. What was the journey like with those two elements?
1: Uh, well, we approached several different branding agencies and we we're just kind of trying to find the right fit for our product because our, our product is handmade and small batch. Like so far, we haven't had more than 300 bottles in a batch. Um, so we're, we're a very small boutique brand and we wanted to have branding that would match that. So we ended up going with Red Dog, who are based in Dublin. And when they were uh, presenting to us the suite of options that we could go with, we uh, decided to go with a separate illustration of our labels that that actually illustrate all the botanicals that go into each iteration so with different labels for our smoked pear, for our orange, for our aromatic, because we actually commissioned an um, Irish artist. um in to illustrate them um uh, sally caldwell is her name she does beautiful botanical work (laughs) i'm happy to give her a shout out and we went with um red dog for the branding and uh, al murphy was the name of our designer so i always try and give them a shout out because they did splendid work honestly
0: so you were very happy with that process and how it all panned out
1: absolutely yeah
0: so whenever you launched onto the market a couple of years ago what was the response
1: Uh, Well, we were launching into the middle of uh, COVID, which was uh, less than ideal. I think most people will agree. (laughs) So we actually pivoted during COVID because we had launched the 200ml bar size. And the 200ml bar size was all fine and dandy when you have bars that are open, but everything was shut. Uh, So we actually pivoted to doing smaller bottle sizes. So we did 50ml home cocktail enthusiast size and we did 30ml that's just available for corporate gifting. And it was just kind of like kind of tipping away, but it's it's kind of one of those things that like I think um if we had launched if we had launched a bit before COVID, COVID probably wouldn't have knocked us. But because we were both a new brand that people weren't uh familiar with, um a lot of people weren't willing to have a try at the price point that we were at because it's only like you, you can't knock the brand by dropping the price point even if we are in COVID because you know like it, it still is a value like it's still quite costly to produce like it's organic apple brandy organic herbs and spices it's small batch like um so we're just kind of tipping away with that but since covid has has eased <laughs> uh hopefully gone away um all, with bars and restaurants back open i find that it's opening up again and funnily enough when i do um tastings a lot of people are more interested in the 200 mil bottle um because we include recipe cards and things with um with them uh, once people can see what they can be used in i find that actually people prefer the bar size than the home cocktail enthusiast size. Funny enough.
0: well that's great the response is very positive whenever you have those opportunities to to let people taste have you any events yeah. coming up in the next month or so pre-christmas that will give people those opportunities
1: sure we're going to patching live in dublin in november and we're also going to Ballymalloo are having a craft fair down in Cork. So, both of those are showcasing. So, we're showcasing with Pachin festivals in Pachin now. It's the first Pachin festival in Ireland. And we're going to Ballymalloo. They're having two weekends, but we're just showing in one of the weekends because <laughs> it unfortunately clashes with the Pachin festival. Um, but we're going to Ballymalloo as well. And that's just um, selling in essentially before Christmas
0: fantastic well look if anybody wants to find out more about you your online shop what's your website and your social media platforms
1: sure we're at www.bearabitters.com that's b-e-a-r-a-b-i-t-t-e-r-s and it's the same on, on um instagram we're era underscore bitters so b-e-a-r-a underscore b-i-t-t-e-r-s um and
0: that's basically us Brilliant. Well, listen, thanks so much for talking to me all about it, Mary. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was talking to Mary O'Sullivan from Berra Bitters who shared details about her portfolio of bitters that are made from natural fruits, nuts and seeds infused in alcohol. And earlier on in the programme we heard from Kristen Jensen, recipient of the Outstanding Achievement Award and Best Cookbook Award at the recent Irish Food Writing Awards. If you're just tuning in now and you've missed all of that, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Now, our final interview this evening will be of interest to teachers and parents of children in national school. Lidl has launched a farm experience that makes the perfect school tour. Before we came on air, I spoke to Aoife Whelan to find out more.
1: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm.
0: Aoife, I saw something recently about a new venture from Lidl and it's called The Lidl Farm. Tell me all about it
3: thanks Sharon yeah so we have set up our own little farm out in Newbridge just by the distribution centre and it was an idea I think that had come originally from a colleague of mine basically looking back on I think when we were kids going to different brands he would have done factory tours and that kind of day out of school and seeing different things and just having that engaging experience that kind of sat with us and we can still remember you know the good times that we had back doing those tours um but I think the idea of those tours are those tours and the brands that they were were more kind of snacky foods and kind of unhealthy kind of drinks or crisps or chocolates um, and that's where we kind of thought that there was definitely something missing in this day and age especially with healthy eating being such a huge focus and so important at the moment that you know maybe we could look at a healthy eating option of a school tour to see the factory but also then with the huge disconnect that there currently is in like agricultural education, that was another focus point that we were kind of saying there's a lot that we could hit on right here. That if we could create like a fun, memorable, um, I suppose engaging experience for kids, but that they also learn about healthy eating and you know the farm to fork experience where their food actually comes from, and um, that it would just be a great opportunity for us, and it would be a great you know opportunity for schools as well to come out and see that.
0: Well I definitely think schools are always looking for new ideas for school tours and if it ties in with that whole healthy eating and sustainability um, idea then like it, it is a win-win for the school and the, the actual experience and you have worked quite closely with a couple of organisations to bring this to life.
3: We have yes so it's been a very busy year basically the, the idea kind of came onto my table it kind of came over to me in about january the start of this year um we obviously had um the land there so we've eight and a half acres of surplus land out by the warehouse in newbridge so we had the the placement i suppose um we created a project team then with a brilliant team in Lidl internally with guys that work on our property and you know in our maintenance out in newbridge as well as kind of health and safety and, and team and head office as well so we were able to kind of get to a certain extent with the farm, I suppose, but obviously the product itself and the crops was where we had to kind of look as to who would actually provide this, you know, the part, the the actual farm itself. So Mead, Potato um, are a supplier of ours for 20, I think about 20 years in Lidl. Um, And I've been lucky enough now to work with them on numerous events over the years. Um, They have a brilliant sustainability team as well. And they have a quite kind of similar focused. you know, what we're looking to do as well. So we reached out to the guys and met up with them in January, explained our vision and what we wanted to do. And they were more than happy to kind of jump on board and get involved with us. So they very successfully planted seven crops for us in the farm over the eight of the seven and a half acres of crops. And then we have one for a cow and calf that we have in the farm as well. So that was brilliant. We had that all planted. They were planted in May. And at that stage, then we needed to kind of focus on the educational side. Um, don't have a huge agricultural background myself, so I certainly wouldn't be able to educate children as to I'd be the one that needs to be educated on the farm to forth experience, I think. So I'm learning an awful lot myself. So at that stage back in May, we reached out to AgriAware, who are the Irish agri food educational body. Um so they, when we looked into them, have programs running in schools at the moment like Dig In, which kind of focuses on how to educate children on farming and planting, but also they have the Incredible Edibles Programme, which is a really fun um child-friendly educational educational program on, on healthy eating. They have different characters and different kind of team the Carrot and patty the potato and stuff. So even just those two programs that they have mixed with what we were trying to do was just it was a really, really positive kind of partnership that we could come up with. So we reached out to the guys to um to Mark Sohalrin and Alan Dago in AgriAware and had a few meetings with them and we have set up our partnership now with guys. So they're looking after the educational side. So we've a great little team there between Mead, AgriAware and ourselves in Lidl to kind of have a hopefully very successful firm and
0: that collaboration piece is always very important i think to make a success of a, of a project like this and i personally grew up in a greengrocer business my father was a like a fifth generation greengrocer so I was immersed in that fruit and vegetable side of things from a very young age, but I can see that my children have a bit of a disconnect with that now. They don't think about where melons come from or how potatoes are grown locally because they're, it, they're just not, they just don't see it, even though now there there is a farm in the family, but it is a more, um, a cattle farm and there's ponies, but they're not thinking about how those cattle become the meat on their plate at a a later date so it's great that you have this very interactive experience and just talk us through then as a child what does that child experience whenever they come up because you have made it very child friendly and, and made it as interesting as possible because some people might think oh my god yawn boring but you've actually got a couple of little things in there that the children will really
3: love yeah we do and so far the excitement from the children is just amazing like um even prior to opening the farm we had just an internal family day um that we invited staff and and obviously their kids and families to come and have a look and see what we've been working on and just ironically as you said it there as well it's We had magicians and face painting and all the jigs and wheels in it and I had my own little six-year-old at the farm and when I left I asked him what his favourite part of the day was and he told me it was digging up the carrots and the potatoes and so it was just so funny to see that no matter what you were throwing and all these these fancy bits that we were bringing in and excitement and circus acts that all he wanted to do was get dirty and and dig up a few carrots and potatoes so um, you're totally right on that one but I suppose the journey, Um, it starts, the kids come in, we ask the schools to pay for their transport, but after that, the tour itself is free. So um, it's very safe. We have a gate that's built off the roundabout so they don't go through the warehouse at all or near the trucks there. They come in through the gate into the Lidl Farm. They'll park up and they'll be met then by our teacher who brings them into a purpose-built classroom that we have. So they go in, they get a little health and safety talk. We have little high visits for them to, to kind of get on. And that's when they go out then and they'll spend about 45 minutes out in the farm. So they'll get to learn different bits about it and kind of a bit about biodiversity and sustainability. And then they'll go through and just the different elements of, as I said, just even knowing what a carrot looks like in the ground and how potatoes are dug up is, is so interesting for them because there really is, as you said, that disconnect there. So um, each of the children do get to pick up a few of their own kind of vegetables and bring them home to their parents um, to show them what they've done for the day. Um, And they're out there for, as I said, about four to five minutes. They come back then and they get to meet our cow and calf. And then they are picked up then by the little farm train, which is a a brilliant little train that we have um, bought in um and all the kids can can get on that and they are brought then for a tour which brings them out of the farm and right through our distribution center and our warehouse so they can kind of see the um supply chain element I suppose as to you know the food gets out of the ground and then like obviously then it's in a big warehouse and from the warehouse that's how it gets out to the stores as well so a great little educational piece for them just to show the full cycle and then back out into the classroom then um, where they get a little goodie bag then and they, and they go home. So the hour, they, the tour itself is about two hours long, um, but it's action-packed now. There's, a, there's not a lot of time. We're filling a lot of stuff in to those two hours. We also have two polytunnels as well, so we're kind of um, preparing for bad weather. But as it is, you know, we've been lucky enough so far, but the children just want to be out of the classroom and then getting mucky anyway. So we're avoiding the classroom and the polytunnels as much as we can to get them out into the fresh air.
0: And of course, because um, it is outdoor for a lot of it and because you can't decide when things grow in Ireland, it is time, there is a time constraint. So you do them September, October and then April to June.
3: Yes, exactly. So we're looking to see, we've had a huge interest for next year already and we only launched there on the 5th of October. Um, We had previously done a few trials just to to learn kind of ourselves, I suppose ourselves um, and just see how much engagement we could have with the with the different ages and the children and what kind of age limit suits so we're looking at second to sixth class students and um, we've kind of found that they're the most suitable for it. but since we've launched we've had thousands and thousands um, of children who are but well, schools apply and um, so they register to their interest to book but we've had over 6,000 students looking to do the tour so we are going to have to see how we can book in as many because we don't want any disappointed uh classes or students so we're going to have to work on that but yes obviously we will have to kind of see that at the moment um we're nearing the stage of harvesting and um, we're trying to leave the crops in the ground I suppose as long as we can to, to accommodate for as many schools this year but then from next year we will start planting in March and start then um getting the school tours in because although there's obviously different elements of you know when we can and can't kind of show stuff around There's also different learning stages so even after we harvest what the ground looks like and you know there's certain there's different elements that we can create and educational programs that we can create around that as well and also i suppose taking advantage of the polytunnels then and, and you know planting seeds and and kind of having a look at that side as well so Yes, it, it, it's going to be a forty-one, but it's definitely a learning a learning curve, and we need to see if we can adapt as much as we can to to show as many children the farm.
0: Well, it sounds absolutely amazing, Aoife. If anybody listening tonight wants to get in touch with you to register their interest for their school, where's the best place for them to do that?
3: So, if they go onto the website, it's www.leadle.ie forward slash the Farm. And then any of the schools can register their interest there but we also have grown pumpkins this year and um, it was made the first time to grow pumpkins and we have those amazing crops there and we are now going to use those pumpkins for a pumpkin patch at the end of october so that's um open to the public it's a ticketed event and it'll be, um, all the proceeds for that will go to Jigsaw, our charity partner. So if people aren't in a school or school aren't registering, they are more than welcome to, to book a ticket for the, the,
0: the pumpkin patch at the end of the month. Amazing. Thanks so much for telling us all about it tonight, Aoife. Thanks for having me down.
1: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm.
0: And that brings us to the end of tonight's programme. Thanks a million to my guests. Kristen Jansen, Miri O'Sullivan and Eva Whelan. Until next week, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Bon appétit.